Welcome back, folks, to episode 34 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in Health Psychology, Licensed Professional Counselor, and an adjunct professor at a local community college. What we're going to discuss today is going to be what I will be calling psychological distance. Not dissonance, but distance. Psychological or cognitive distance. Psychological distance has much to do with how we would perceive an event, whether it be negative or positive, and also the impact it has on us individually, uh, whether it be negative or positive emotion, or even a physical sense that we may have a sense of fear, disgust, or even fight-flight that may occur. And what we're going to consider is, well, what is psychological or cognitive distance and how does that affect self-regulation? Because it definitely is involved in when we have emotional and physical dysregulation or dysphoric response. And much of that has to do with a sense of belief and also what we would call closeness to what it is that we may be thinking about if we're having a dysphoric recall or even what we're thinking about when we're having a euphoric or a more fun, enjoyable recall. And how we hold things in our mind, the way we think about them, is also something that uh, gives us some commentary and perspective on how we hold things and believe about them. Not necessarily always a bad thing. Sometimes it can be a very useful thing that helps improve performance and even would be very closely parallel to what we would see with self-hypnosis or the uh, creative visualization practices that we use in sport. And in sports psychology, uh, they are replete with a number of methods to help improve human performance by virtue of using visualizations. And those are some important things to consider. But there is a belief quality involved. So what is, once again, psychological or cognitive distance. Well, what we're going to do is point out that there are some events that we remember that, let's say, the euphoric in this case, are very fun and enjoyable to remember. It could be a holiday, whenever we're with family, if that is something that's enjoyable or positive for you. could even be playing sport and remembering doing something that stood out in your mind or in, in your experience, what you've done, that was really special to you and you felt really good about and you may have even been lauded and appreciated and even congratulated for what it is that may have transpired that you were involved in that you may have done that could have been an accomplishment could have been like for myself a peak experience whenever I graduated with my bachelor's and it was amazing to me because both of my parents were there seeing me walk the stage and I love my dad rest his soul but uh, he never really went to my football games and stuff like that my mother did But whenever he saw me graduate, he actually went the distance for me and he showed up. And even as an adult male in my late 30s, that meant the world to me because it was something that in the back of my mind, I did not harbor against my father. But it was definitely something that I realized it would have been nice to have had him and his support in what I was doing at the time when I was younger. So it hearkened me back to that, but also it felt like I'd bridged a gap that had been a lonely gap for a long time that now I had 
that I could look back and say, hey, you know, he stood up for me there. Even though I know that he raised me and took care of me and all that stuff, it was a very pivotal point for me and remembering that uh, I really wished in my heart of hearts that he would have been able to attend at least one of my games, and he wasn't able to, even though he picked me up from practice and whatnot. But for me at the time as a child of about 12 years old, it, it made uh, an indelible impression in me that somehow was still euphoric to me. And when I think about it, it's a very proud moment because I did graduate and my mom saw me before she passed and my dad did as well. But also it was something deeper than that. So there was a valence to this value that I'd added to that experience that somehow bridged to that old experience of his not having attended my football games and stuff, which once again, you know, I love my dad, great man. And I would never hold anything like that against him, but just realizing that there was an element of that sort that uh, carried weight. And this is what I'm talking about, psychological distance. Whenever things bring us to a point of emotion that even if I recall now, I might get sentimental, get emotional, may even physically feel my heart rate jump, might even have tears or this sort of thing. So we would say that we are close to that, even though the temporal quality, the way we remember things, when we're talking about it, we know that it's been years, but yet it's still recalled as if it's just been moments or maybe just a day. And this has to do with how we represent things in our mind in the visual sense. And our brain cannot tell the difference if something is external to us happening on the outside or something that I'm recalling that happened on the outside in the past, but is being recalled on the inside in my mind. So not being able to tell the difference, that's a very powerful tool. This is where we are jumping off of the last episode having to do with the psychosomatic and the power to change not only the body, but impact health and also improve our performance and things that are important to us and be able to create lasting change as a result. And often with practice, if physical is necessary, but even sometimes without, if it's just a visualization that can help us get to a point of transformation and change and improvement, self-improvement. The second part of the title of this podcast, Self-Improvement Project, that has to do with self-regulation, yes, but also recognizing the tools that actually transcend not only the skill building, but that of improvement of self as a result of using these tools that I share in this podcast. So the next part, cognitive distance in a dysphoric sense versus the euphoric pleasurable. When have you had a dysphoric recall? That maybe you had an event that was painful, maybe it was shocking or embarrassing, and maybe it was one where you felt like a failure, like all eyes were on you, and maybe someone even made you feel bad and said things because of a pratfall that we take. And even though those are human things, there are those among us that like to stand on the false moral high ground and take a look at someone and make fun of them when they fall or they're weak or somehow seem less than. And uh, people of that ilk, I try to keep away from me because uh, I tend not to really enjoy that sort of thing. But at the same time, uh, I also know that by that feeling of dysphoria, it shapes us and it makes our, our body remember in a way that is realistic and makes it uncomfortable to recall those memories, even in the present, even if it's been 20 or 30 years in the past versus 20 or 30 minutes. 
And notice what I said, an opinion of not liking being around those kind of folks, in quotes. Those sorts of events will shape our beliefs, kind of like what I just stated right now, that would be a belief, and moves us in a direction where we have this expectation of faultiness or failure, and maybe even a sense of maliciousness and intention of harm or hurt to oneself or others. And we may not agree to do that. We may not like doing such things, but yet people do such things in our world. But yet we tend to key in on those things because pain hurts. Intentional pain or damage becomes even more hurtful, especially if it's from somebody that's an intimate, somebody that you know and care about. Could be a friend, a buddy, and then you realize, wow, I didn't think you were capable of that. and may even ruin a relationship or things of that nature. So depending on how close those memories are, the dysphoric or the euphoric recall, that's going to determine how close we are to the things that we hold. Does it have to be a long-term memory? No, not at all. Sometimes in the more dynamic sense, uh, if you're working in a clinical setting, I used to be a medic in the military many years back, you have to put on a very professional distance and not allow your sympathy to get in the way of the empathy. The empathic sense that allows us to recognize and respect when somebody is feeling a certain way uh, is not the same as when we have the sympathetic and we're carrying the weight with them of that pain. Now, there's nothing wrong with having sympathy for someone or experiencing the sympathetic pains that the French would call couvade, the pains of the mother. So when we have that distance that allows us to have professional capacity to do what we need to do skill-wise, And sometimes maybe even delivering a healthful thing like pulling a bandage, removing staples from a wound that is healing. That is, in quotes, painful, but yet you know it needs to be done. And sometimes it's a matter of being as wise as possible when approaching such things because we tend to have these certain beliefs that distance us from the discomfort as much as the person that's experiencing the discomfort. There are those that have experienced being burned or cut or hurt and having nurses say it's better we just rip the band-aid off and what if you have many wounds or a large percentage of your body that is wounded that is more so for the nurse or the person removing bandages or staples because they want it to be over quickly because it's uncomfortable to them if they have any kind of sympathetic heart in their soul they tend to feel those things and They're being empathetic, meaning they're providing good care. They're trying to do the best they can. But often, it's a faulty thing whenever you have somebody working on you doing something painful and you're removing things that are like bandages and people say it's faster and easier and it's over with. And you ask, would you rather have this done this way versus applying your own wisdom to it and saying it's better if we do this without evidence versus asking their preference. Because they may at least want a little bit of a rest whenever you're pulling such things off, especially bandages over a long wound, taking it a little at a time, because not everyone experiences pain the same way, and it is not a cognitive process. And whenever we try to apply the cognitive uh, wisdom or strategy, thinking that we're doing good for them, when in actuality we may be re-traumatizing them, we're not doing them any good. And that may be a misbelief based on opinion, or someone's experience or someone telling you to do it this way versus asking the person 
that is the agent in this whole thing other than the one that is removing the tape. And that's going to be the one that has agency in the experience of the pain, the person getting the tape removed. And why is it that we miss this? We have misbeliefs, wrong beliefs, incorrect beliefs based on opinions, or that we assume because somebody has an authority uh, is correct. And the fact of the matter is a factor within this matter, and that is that we have individual differences. We do not experience pain in exact same way. Now, we're very similar. We have neurological receptors that have pain receptors, pressure and heat and cold receptors that are similar to us, but we interpret those and experience them within the body uh, in a slightly different way. Some of us are more tolerant. Some of us are a little more resilient. So individual differences means that we can't treat everybody exactly the same way because we're all going to respond differently. And a case in point would be that if you give a vaccine to somebody, not just the current one, but generally speaking, we have outliers whenever they've done studies. You know that there are going to be people that over-respond, under-respond, and have allergic or even lethal uh, reactions to whatever is given. And that isn't just with the most current, but the ones historically that we've gotten to a point that we could deliver, generally speaking, like for rubella and the mumps. Look up the studies. There are people that pass as a result of those. But it wasn't everybody. And we have to understand that it's a small percentage of when we look at things from a zoomed out lens, we realize that the greater whole is being impacted in a positive way. And many childhood illnesses were eradicated as a result of that. Now, I am not supporting Big Pharma here. What I'm saying is that we have to look at facts and look at things rationally, because often many beliefs that we take on and assume misbeliefs are not rationally based, but more so emotionally based. They're opinion based. And often those things that we assume, they're ways of trying to find an answer to something that are not only inarguable, but unanswerable in some cases. We might, might not have an answer for such things. And if those things that we have no answers for give us stress or anxiety, we may obsess over these things. We may start thinking of things over and over repetitively that it resembles something along the lines of a diagnosable obsessive-compulsive disorder as a result of believing something to be a certain way. But yet, whenever I find out a little more, I go on the internet, it's like, okay, I have an answer. But yet, next time you go back, it's because even though you have the answer and there's a sense of relief, it's not permanent, which indicates that there's probably more stress that's involved at the body level, not at the belief, the cognitive psychological level, but at the body level where it's responding based on how compelling the things that we're thinking are versus how accurate they are, how true they are, how evidence-based they are, but rather how compelling are they? That's just like whenever we have something that pops up on the screen, on the television, the laptop, or even on our cell phone that becomes a little shocking, then you realize, oh, it was just really fast and you didn't have enough time to interpret it, but yet your body goes into a negative stress reaction. Heart rate goes up, breathing goes up, anxiety, and maybe even we may yell, shout, or say, I'm scared. And when we realize that, oh, it's just a toy and it was done intentionally, it was just a game after the fact, you add that, it does not minimize or mitigate in any way the effects of what it is that I experienced as a result of that stressor that came on too fast for me to read that I, by default, interpreted as a negative because that's how I'm wired. And it's not because I'm negative or I have a negative attitude or I have negative thoughts, but rather 
those things will elicit the response within our protective nature, within our protective program. And it says, too fast, too fast, unsafe, make safe first, and run, get away, fight, this sort of thing. So when we have psychological distance, we are still trying to keep from going the route of having that overriding physiological response. But there's also a social quality there too, and that has to do with preservation of our ego. When there's embarrassment involved, that's very uncomfortable. We feel things that resemble like anxiety or panic or irritability. And those are very real physical, physiological reactions in the body. Doesn't matter if it's a real thing. It could have just been an opinion or a rumor. No evidence based, but yet if somebody delivered it with authority and we tend to buy into it, it's not because we're dumb. It's because sometimes something's delivered when we're vulnerable to it. And sometimes it's our personality that is more apt to be vulnerable to or listen to such things because of our experience whenever we're being uh, raised, however that may have been. And that's not always a bad thing, but it can be. We may be more apt to be gullible to things, and it doesn't mean one is dumb or stupid. It just means that depending on how the message is delivered, if it's by repetition, we will assume things sometimes and take them as true. And I'm saying that in quotes because I still disagree with that, but I think that we are less apt to protect against it if it becomes common, just like the stool or the chair that's at the office when I walk in every day. We just take it as being part of the environment, regardless of how noxious or untrue it may be. Now, psychological distance is an important thing to pay attention to. So what I'm going to point out are going to be a couple of things having to do with safety. Safety meaning how do I hold my beliefs and does it serve me and is this helpful? These are important questions, self-directed questions to ask, especially if we've had a reaction and we're away from where the stress may be or where I might experience it. And we can ask, well, is that from today? Is this something that I'm experiencing that is reminding me of something that happened in the past and it's just so similar? Maybe it's an old stress or even a trauma for that matter. And it brings up bad or uncomfortable feelings of irritability that really has nothing to do with the immediate environment. And depending on how similar things are, it may bring up that emotion that once again, cognitive distance may feel like it's close and it's happening right now. So what are some things that we can pay attention to to help us understand this cognitive distance? One is that there are certain things that we may see or hear that we may not be in agreement with or like, but yet um, they're true or maybe factual, but yet the things that we hold make us uncomfortable because we've held them for a long time. We have a sense of in quotes, I've made this. We tend to trust what it is that we think. We tend to like what we think first. And it doesn't mean that we're dumb, but we tend to be less apt to put those things down and change those because there's been an emotional investment. And what if there's been a social investment in that gives me social currency or social value if I'm looked at or looked up to in a certain group or a certain uh, organization or place of work because of the way I believe? Often cults, and this is in more negative sense, will bring people into the fold whenever people have been shunned or ostracized, especially when it's been those that we would expect to be the most accepting, that like family, for instance, blood family, biological family. And if that's there, 
but only intermittently, or you have to bow down to get attention or to be allowed to be accepted, or people threaten to take the love or the care and acceptance away your security, that it becomes a catch-22 and things become very distinctly difficult. And we tend to be more apt to move and gravitate towards those places wherever acceptance is not taken away. If anything, this can also become a problem with love bombing. Uh, narcissists tend to do this, but also cults in places that require that you think or act a certain way will do that, where there's lots of high-level acceptance and no questions or, or judgments, but yet they tend to espouse their beliefs bits at a time, a little at a time, and they feed it to you until you get to a point wherever you realize you're saying those things and believing those things. But part of it is because we're feeling good things when we're doing that because the social value, the social currency and acceptance is there. And by the time we get to that point where we realize, well, okay, there's something wrong with this, it becomes so much harder to extract ourselves because we built bonds with human beings that we don't want to hurt them. And it's painful to think that way. Well, if I go back to what I was before, I lose all these good things, even though maybe I'm being told that uh, there are things that are negative or bad that could get me in trouble. And I know this in my mind and heart, but yet I don't want to let go of the love, the caring and acceptance. It becomes a very, very painful double-edged sword to deal with. So it's damned if I do, damned if I don't, in the truest sense, the things to pay attention to. Cognitive distance, how far am I, in my own mind, away from things, uh, will determine whether or not those things that I might entertain as an idea or events that I see or experience, uh, it'll determine whether or not they'll be painful to me. Will I be able to let them go? Will I be able to perform or act within those things or around those things without necessarily taking damage. And whenever we realize what that distance is, it's not always about negatives and bad. The examples I have given have been some particularly negative ones, but really more so in an educational point. But it can also be with a good thing, uh, such as enhanced performance or believing uh, the old adage, old mantra that says, every day in every way, I'm getting better and better. Now, there's no evidence for that, but by saying such things, we tend to gravitate and appreciate such things and people that do such things. And we may actually start having a better attitude and bringing about better things in our lives just by virtue of how we feel as a result of that. And over time, if things are repeated, this is the hypnotic effect repeated often enough. It becomes part of our everyday process. We tend to take that as normal. And when that becomes normal, it becomes an improvement. If it's a positive thing, it becomes something that I can euphorically recall if I can tie good things happening as a result of my having started saying these things to myself every day. And maybe even visualizations work the same way. And the reality check that I want to tell you about whenever we're breaking away from these negatives that have a cognitive or or psychological closeness that hold power over us in some cases, the reality check can be very, very painful. And the quote that is often espoused on the internet and social media is basically an adjustment of what Martin Luther King said, the truth will set you free. But whenever people speak it as far as self-improvement, it is usually the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. It'll make you angry. And I would say to a large degree that is accurate, 
because often there is an investment of what it is I believe because the time I've believed in it, we don't want to be wrong. We don't like being wrong. We don't want to feel like we have to move our ladder from the wrong wall because, you know, I put my ladder on this one. Apparently it's not the right one. I have to start again at the bottom rung. And that is an ego thing. One thing that is helpful with this is realizing that ego isn't real. Ego is our best attempted creation. And whenever we feel stressed or don't pay attention to it, you go long enough without thinking about yourself, it pops up. And that's where we have the monkey mind starting to add thoughts and things and worries and conversations because it feels uncomfortable in that silence. It being our lower brain. But whenever we can calm the body first, we tend to be able to spend longer bits of time in that silence without thought. And being comfortable with that and realize that is our most basic and generative state from which we become not only creative, but also intelligent and capable of problem solving in a great way. And there is no fear there because there is no time there either. On top of the fact that your ego tends not to rest very well there because it doesn't exist. And it's okay. It comes back. Can't ever really destroy an ego. And there are many that espouse that you can destroy the ego as if it's this fight when in actuality is just realizing that our brain does that. And that is a social construct. And whenever we're not socializing, we feel like it's dying or it feels like it's dying, even though it's just a matter of thought. It's just a think. It's just a result of mind. And it's okay to have that. Nothing wrong with that at all. The idea is not to get so hung up on it that we have mental, emotional pain as a result of that. And we aren't the things that we do. Those things do not define us. I define me as you define yourself moment to moment. And we're some incredible beings. So I want to say we're going to close this for tonight. And I want to say thank you for spending time with me once again. I appreciate you sharing a little bit of your time. I certainly enjoy visiting with you. And if you know anyone that could benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. Follow, like, and share. And we're on all major platforms right now. Um, iTunes, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and a number of others, uh, Spotify as well. And I'm hoping that y'all get great benefit from this as much as I enjoy doing the podcast as well. And kindest regards to all of you that have reached out this week that I haven't heard from in years. Bless your way. And thank you for being part of my life, each, each and every one of you in all the countries that are listening. And I'm hoping to hear from y'all if you want to reach out and to say hey or have any comments or any questions or maybe even a request. Uh, send them to the email runningmangetskillsproject at gmail. As always, have a good evening and walk well. <laughs>